Dr. Amalia Gonyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from Johannesburg is Professor Elizabeth Makata, who is Head of the Engineering Metallurgy Department in the Faculty of Engineering and the Built Environment at the University of Johannesburg. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Malga, for having me. Professor, to begin with, looking at your resume, it brings to light your long track record of achievements as well as publications in a field which, let's say, traditionally was categorized as a male-dominant sector and has been a barrier for women to enter. Today, you hold the position of professor, and in many respects, you've become a role model to many young women across the continent to look up to your achievements. Firstly, please tell us what made you or motivated you to pursue a career in engineering? I'm a material scientist, and this career stemmed from physical chemistry. I started very young to fall in love um, in chemistry. I recall when I was 10 years going to the hospital with my mother, and um, I was asking a lot of questions at that time. And I believe that has been what motivated me to be a material scientist. And with my um, a lack of career guidance uh, growing up in the rural free state, I've always been inquisitive to ask the nurses, are you the ones who are making the medicines? And, and one of the gentlemen, they, they, they indicated, no, we, we, we have nurses, we have radiographers, we have doctors, and we also have chemists in the pharmacies who are giving the, medic, the medicines. At that age, I wanted to know who is making this, who is coming up with medicines. That's how I fell in love with chemistry. So uh, I went and followed the Bachelor of Science and specializing in physical chemistry. The question may be then, from physical chemistry, how did you become a metallurgist? So I always explain to, to a lot of people to say uh, physical chemistry uh, being a study of how matters behaves and molecules and at atomic levels, how chemical reactions occur. It, it leads to a specialization in physical chemistry, especially if you have the eager to research and develop potential uses for the new materials. That's how I ended up in, in uh, physical metallurgy. Thank you for walking us through your journey on your progress to enter the space of physical chemistry, material science, and eventually to be specializing in, in metallurgy. Can you tell us about some of the work that you do specifically in the department, uh, perhaps some of the research projects that you're undertaking? As a, a head of department at the University of Johannesburg uh, Metallurgy Department, we train metallurgists in two separate streams. I'm coming to answer um, and give you a perspective of what I do. So when I first joined the university, my uh, responsibilities were more uh, in extractive metallurgy, retraining students to refine and process minerals. 
In short, I can say they, they, it is about reclaiming of the metals from uh, the prepared ores. This field of study is more in, min in, in, in mining. So whereas then uh, the physical metallurgy is uh, where original metals are being alloyed, they are formed into useful components and they are treated with the heat to get required properties. My research focus is more in polymer fiber composites for automotive parts application. And um, I have also the second project that, um, that is still in the conceptualization stage. And uh, this is also still in physical metallurgy, whereby we're looking at automotive parts. So this project that I'm working with uh, has a PhD student from uh, CSIR, and we are focusing on achieving the skills to, to have a competitive capacity to cast locally. The nice thing about being a material scientist is the fact that you look at different applications. That is the second uh, project that I talked about. The third that I'm looking into as well, working on, is the, uh, the thermomechanical processing effect of the microstructural evolution and the mechanical properties of titanium alloys. In that project, we, we're focusing on biomedical applications and we're looking at the demand of the replacement of hard tissues, such as uh, for hip and the knee joints. Um, we all know that if we prepare materials, those materials must be compatible. This is the focal point of our project where we want to have a, a material which is compatible. The work that you do seems to have such solid, practical applications in the real world. Yes, it does. And this is what we want to, to have. We want to come up with solutions that suits our, uh, the, uh, our Africa. These are the projects which we want the industry to be proud of at the end, and South Africa, the country to be proud of at the end of the day. Even if they take long, even if it involves the students studying, but eventually, if we have plans to reach somewhere, it is going to benefit South Africa. I think it's high time that as Africans, we come up with the solutions that suits Africa more than any other country. You're right, to be able to develop solutions that are appropriate for our continent. And besides thinking in the bigger picture of the developments that are happening for the continent, from your perspective, being a woman in a sector which has been traditionally male-dominated, are you seeing a, a stronger intake of young women into the department, whether they're studying material sciences, chemistry, engineering, in comparison to when you first started? You know, in my experience, I, I believe that we we are doing well. And I, I, I think until this far, we have taken a lot of students and we have graduated a lot of students. But the challenge, I think, is the progress, the organizations. I feel that our country and organizations are not necessarily following the progress of those students which we are taking. 
into our systems. Once they graduate, they find jobs. After finding the jobs, be it that we funded them, after finding the jobs, we don't follow up to know where they end. Are they staying in the engineering field? Or are they changing the career, the, their career paths? It is something that I, I think that it is not being followed. Um, not long ago, some of our students who I, I taught years back, they, they came back. I think two of the female students came back after the experiential learning. And one of them was mentioning that, no, we, I want to, to move away from metallurgy. And the question that I had was, what, what has happened? The environment was not really conducive for them. So if we can ensure that after graduating them, we're keeping them in the system, especially if the organizations are funding them. What if you think about the investment that goes into producing a graduate, going through their specialization, that one would want to have an economic return on that investment? I believe that it goes to waste if we, we invest and not follow up. But like I said, if we don't follow up with them, then we are missing out on the the great female engineers that we could have. Yes, and when we speak about engineering, when we speak about aspects for the future, we are in the era of the fourth industrial revolution. And that will certainly have a monumental impact on the way that we work. And the period of discontinuity will require direction setting to shape the near future. We know that technology demands new skills to function and participate in the digital economy, be that for IR. It has transformed our world and will transform the future working world and thereby create new career possibilities for women. So given what you've just relayed in terms of being able to track or trace women who have concluded their tertiary education and are moving into the business world, how can we ensure that women don't get left behind in this techno-economic revolution? You know, you know what, Dr. Malka? Um, women have power. We, we, we just have to believe, to, be, to believe it and just have to use the power. I think the tools that uh, women need to navigate this change are there. Generally, uh, women have, they have more degrees than men. I think that together with the so-called soft skills that are naturally um, in women, if they are recognized and, and, and used, we can have women navigating this uh, techno-economic evaluations. We can think about it this way. It, for, for, for women we, who, who are in, the, in, their early, in their early years, uh, like to have children, I think the fourth industrial revolution could work in their favor in the short term. They will not have to, to, to be faced with kids versus career situation whereby they have to choose 
where the com- the, some companies are, are, are losing um, talented women because of that. At, at, at some stage, women have to choose um, having kids or staying in the environment. And you find that if the environment is not necessarily that much, that much conducive, then as a woman, knowing that the biological clock is ticking, you leave the work or choose a different career. I think the confidence in the industry, I think is an integral part of the success. So all the stakeholders must, must consider the inclusive approach. So for, for women to, to, let, to, to, to be able to work in those environments. And again, I think it will also help in the situations whereby we, we feel like gender is overtaking our abilities. So in uh, fourth industrial revolution is going to help a lot of us only if we are very confident about what we do. And you're right from an organizational point of view that if organizations pay attention, and I like to think about things from a, an outputs perspective as opposed to thinking how long someone is on campus for and uh, the number of hours that they're spending within a department. Outputs is what matters. And if women are able to manage their time effectively and perhaps working remotely provides part of that solution. The next question that I wanted to ask you, and this relates back to the introduction. For instance, when you were talking, you said that from a career point of view, and I think this would be fair to say for many young people going through the schooling system, we have no idea what types of career opportunities are available. And the more we look, the more careers are are evolving So what types of outreach programs has the department got in place to encourage young people, particularly young women, to pursue careers within the engineering space? So with this one, uh, Dr. Malka, unfortunately, at the departmental level, we only have a metallurgical students organization. This is at the departmental level. And we have women in engineering for our female staff members at the faculty level. I think it is high time for us to refocus and see how we work with the, with the universities. It is not something that we have done much lately, especially after I took over the position of leadership. Not that it was there, but it is something that I think will help us to motivate the young girls and get them to know about the STEM fields. Um, I think having the new programs has shifted that direction to uh, that from the direction of the young girls, rather to the females who are growing in their career at the faculty uh, at the department. Do you know from a studying point of view that education is a long-term investment? So the choices you make earlier on in the subjects that you elect at school do have an impact on your future. I'd like to ask you now, what would be your advice to high school girls who perhaps want to follow in your footsteps and enter the field of either chemistry or engineering? What subjects should they be concentrating on? So I I, I believe that... Um, they must first believe in themselves so that uh, whatever they want to be, they can be. 
if they put their minds uh, to, to, to anything that they want to do and uh, build the, confident, uh, the confidence, it is doable. Mathematics is not, is not a subject for boys as, as, as it is per perceived. Girls need to, um, or rather let me say, it is a must to choose pure mathematics rather than maths literacy. Without pure maths and, and physics, it will be very difficult uh, for them to, um, to, for the girls to, not only the girls, but to, to, to enroll in, in any engineering field. And I think the best way to encourage um, them to pursue opportunities in engineering should start from home. If the society or if um, the parents can stop asking, what kind of a girl are you fixing cars, uh, playing with computers or fixing phones and so on? I think we will really have the best engineers out of females. I also take. I, I also believe that uh, taking boys uh, with or taking them along, it will help us to to change the environment, the environment in future, uh, because in engineering field, as 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 it is male dominated, the treatment is not is not so good. This is why at the end of the day, or oh, we, we, we find uh, the female engineers leaving the environments that they studied for. Because the males, they have been groomed in a way that uh, they believe a girl belongs to the kitchen. And as a result, the treatment is not good. So if we take along the boys, we are changing their minds. And then we will have a better future, I think, going forward. For me, um, Dr. Malka, I grew up doing almost everything. Me and my brothers, we would play outside. We will work with my father. We will work with my mother. Being the, the first daughter, but a third born, at the family of seven children, I looked up at my brothers, and my elder brother had to cook. And as I grow up, my mother made sure that I worked even in the garden. So even for girls, math is not difficult. Physics is not difficult. It is a perception. Over to you, Dr. Malka. One of the things which really stood out for me in what you've just said is this key aspect of socialization, of making sure that gender roles are not stereotyped from the onset that children grow up knowing that there are no differences between whether I'm doing my chores in the garden, whether I'm doing my chores of housework, that these are universal lessons that irrespective of gender, children should know how to appreciate them and that those ideas that they take with them continue to cement in adulthood. Today, we're talking to Professor Elizabeth Makata, who is head of the engineering metallurgy department in the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Johannesburg. Prof Makata, the next question that I wanted to ask you really concerns our issue of, of women leaders and role models. We know that female role models in society are important sources of influence in the way that women see themselves by being able to identify with these individuals and to emulate them, and also in turn how men perceive women. 
If we think in the discipline of science, some of the great female scientists include the likes of Marie Curie, Catherine Johnson. And if we look at aspects of female leadership on the continent, we've had Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, former president of Liberia, Joyce Banda, former president of Malawi, Amina Gurib Fakim, former president of Mauritius, and from a more current perspective, Pumzile Mabonuka, leading UN women, uh, recently sworn in president of Tanzania, Samia Suluhu Hassan, and the president of Ethiopia, Sahle Work Zawede. How do you see the role of female leadership, whether it is in the business world, academic world, or government? And secondly, how can women strengthen their leadership qualities? I feel very much motivated uh, by the increase by increasing the number of women occupying leadership positions in, in, in many fields. However, the challenge is still there to lead in a context which is male dominated. However, I, I, I also believe that the role of female leaders in, is, is increasingly influencing and motivating and encouraging young and junior females to rise to the occasion. And I, I, I can proudly say that I'm one of those who got motivated by other female leadership uh, leaders in the leadership positions. The likes of Professor Mamucheti and the previous Vice Dean in Teaching and Learning, Professor Esther Akin Labi, who used to uh, serve our faculty. I won't lie, um, working in that space, it, it is not um, as glamorous um, at all. I think uh, one needs to be resilient and uh, very determined. And um, uh, sh by showing our experiences and, and sharing our challenges, uh, different approaches to, to different situations or problems that we have encountered, I think uh, that will continuously strengthen other women's leader, uh, leadership qualities. Not only that, but to, to support each other. We may have uh, been classified as not controlling our emotions. But if we look at uh, uh, the, the women that you have just mentioned, they are very strong. They have visions, they have empathy, perseverance, they have passion, they have also the, the skill to take the decisions. But one thing that I think we need to build on the most to benefit women in the future is to have the same uh, female leaders in the position to truly, truly uh, be in the forefront of uh, creating women-empowered workplace. To be part of the decision-taking uh, while they are grooming the juniors. Um, however, those uh, junior colleagues, they must also be showing the eagerness to, to grow. So you see this in part of succession planning and development of being able to nurture upcoming female talent and to help guide them through mentorship, perhaps, and then onto leadership roles within those respective organizations. Definitely. Grooming is, 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 is a crucial part that we have to look into to ensure that the 
the, the juniors are not scared by the challenges. Utilizing your experience and given what you know today, if you could project in the future, say 10, 20 years down the line, what do you think gender equality will look like for women in South Africa? Sure. You know, it, it, is, it is very difficult to answer this question. Um, and the prediction is not even easy. If I recall well, in 2014, the gender gap report issued by um, a World Economic Forum predicted that the world will reach gender parity by 2095. That's a crazy number. It is a very crazy number, but you know what? It went further to <laughs> to say, I think in, in 20, 2018, that forecast appeared to have uh, to have worsened. That now we think that the 2095 was was a crazy number, but later on the ga- the gap was anticipated to close at uh, uh, as late as 2135. But then. Looking at South Africa, there's legislations in, in, in place, and I think that motivates us to uh, look at the number differently. However, I think this South African legislations in place, are they are well articulated in papers. Women, women's rights and, and, and gender equality will not change anytime soon. As long as we, we have uh, these legislations not being implemented. And um, I think, I, think I, I should say that in my views, that is where the challenge is. And perhaps a weakness lies in respect of monitoring and evaluation. We know that companies should be submitting workplace or skills reports that indicate the composition of their workforce be it gender, be it race. And I know that within those documents, you also have to indicate a person's level within the organization, be it junior, be it senior. If we can utilize those monitoring aspects to more effect because those measures exist, and then we can hold organizations more accountable for gender representation. Definitely. I believe so uh, as well. However, you know, with all different layers, women are, are, are continuously harassed at work. They are being bullied, be it at the lower level or at the leadership positions. And that is if the organizations are not really um, taking care of or they are not applying what they are putting on their papers. Like you said earlier, implementation is the key and adhering to it so that all these systems are transparent and we are all judged by the same criteria. Exactly. So we we really have to work hard to ensure that implementation takes place. That Then we will, ha- we will see a change. We will see a different um, increase in women in the field, in the STEM fields, or even in engineering or the leadership positions. Prof Makata, we are coming towards the end of the show. And in this segment, I'd like to turn towards some more personal questions. 
and ask you about some of the factors that have contributed towards your success. For instance, some of our guests who have reached tremendous achievements in their respective fields talk about hard work, their upbringing, or perseverance. In your opinion, what are some of the key drivers to your success? Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Malka. You know, uh, I I believe that hard work, perseverance, and upbringing uh, influences uh, a lot of us or a lot of factors that contribute to our success. And I'm not a different one. Um, What stands out on my side is the upbringing. My parents really worked hard. As I said, that I grew up in a very poor background. But their teaching and strong belief in God helped me to work hard and also persevere to see through and ensure that tomorrow I'm going to uh, be something. My, my father was, was, uh, was working alone and my mother was not working. But both of them, they were not ceasing to, to tell us how the education, education is the key to success. My, my mother would even go to the extent of saying that uh, no husband will take care of you uh, than education. That is to us as her daughters. So I, I really worked hard and I believe that working hard and the upbringing and the fear of God is what brought me to this level. I sold peanuts at school and saved money to buy, to help and take some of the responsibilities to buy some shoes because I grew up having only a pair of shoes to go to school. So hard work was really paying off for me. One of the key drivers to my my success was that to hold very dear to my heart is as a believing in, in God in every situation that I have been in. You grew up in a family of seven siblings in a rural environment. When you look at the type of environment that you come from, one could say it's almost impossible for someone to succeed in your position. And here you are today, heading up a significant department at one of the country's leading universities. How did you do it? You know, um, (laughs) it was not easy at all. It's There is this defining moment where my mother, um, my mother passed on when, when I was in metric. It is at that moment where a lot has changed. Yes, I have been a dreamer and I wanted to go on and study. And uh, I recall saying to my friend at that time, um, that one day I'm going to, to, to put my foot at university. Um, I don't know how, but I'm very sure, I'm very determined I will fly overseas and I'm going to take my siblings out of this poverty. And I had, I had, I had hope, but I only, I could only hold fast on the promises that my mother taught us from the Bible. She used to 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 quote the scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. 
Um, you know, in that, she, I remember very well in her absence, um, I would go back to that scripture and, 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 and read it again and again. And remember that my mother used to say that you must not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It was very difficult. But having my father and my younger sister who comes after me, I held fast to my dream that one day I'm going to be someone. One day I'm going to register at university. I may not have the funding. I may not have the promises. But something will come up. And eventually, um, I finished metric with the exemption. It was not as good as I, I, would, I would have loved it to be, but I passed under all the circumstances. But being from a poor background, I, I didn't even have, have clothes. So 1998, I worked as a street vendor in Guagua, and I was, I was selling the apples, the, the fruit and vegetables. And at the same time, I also took a job of selling someone's shoes and the clothes outside, the ones that you hang outside, just next to my uh, fruits and the veggies. Uh, with the money I would save to buy one pair of shoes, my plan at that time was to, to buy at least one shoe and um, the sneakers, um, a pair of jeans and a t-shirt. So... 1999, eventually, I managed to um, register at university. So all this happened because of that defining moments where my mother passed and left my four-year four brother. I realized that I have to work hard. My, my father is struggling with all of us. And I was the first to go to the university where I had to excel to get the bursary. And I excelled to get the bursary. And on top of that, I also got a job for on a second year. When the first year finished, I was offered a research assistant position by my, my PhD promoter. Then I did not even think that I would study to that level. And unfortunately, um, in that second year, uh, my, 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 my father's health deteriorated and he was admitted to hospital. Um, and he passed on on the second year. It was very difficult. I find it very difficult to hold myself when I share the finer details of how I walked kilometers and kilometers and after eating only one egg, uh, but eventually God made it for me, helped me to finish all my degrees in record time. Thank you for walking us through your journey. There was certainly a lot of pain and tragedy that you experienced, but you truly demonstrated the fruits of hard labor and having a vision to succeed no matter what. If you hold your faith and follow your dreams, it is possible to make them come true. Yes, it is. Lastly, as we close out the conversation today, Please, can you share a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to young girls and women listening to the show? 
I would like to say that um, there is a saying by Alfred Adler, follow your heart, but take your brain with you. Women must hold fast in their belief and, and, and not let anything to sway them. They must get up, no matter how they feel. They must dress up, show up and never give up. In addition to that, I think they must, uh, they must also never tolerate people who are treating them poorly. Be it it's a friend or family member, a partner as well, even a colleague. I think we all are allowed to set boundaries. We, we also belong, belong where we want to be, not in the kitchen. The, the future female, uh, the, the, the female leaders. There's no time for, um, to, for, for being apologetic for our uh, femaleness and femininity. We have to continue to work hard. Thank you for that great message. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today and hearing your views. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me, Dr. Malka. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Professor Elizabeth Makata, who is head of the Engineering Metallurgy Department in the Faculty of Engineering and the Built Environment at the University of Johannesburg.